0: Psalm 45 is a beautiful picture. It's one of the Messianic Psalms that points us to Jesus, and Jesus actually quotes Psalm 45. It takes a look at this idea of covenant relationship with God and how we are God's chosen special people. And I pray that as we look at this idea of this metaphor of the wedding in Psalm 45, we understand that as the body of Christ, as believers in Jesus, that we can partake in a similar kind of relationship with God and that we are incredibly loved because that's who God is. I pray that today's episode blesses you. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Before we get started, I just want to share a couple things to help you in case you have some questions because I find that when I get questions from people, Usually there's one person that asks the question, but there's a whole bunch of people that also have the same question. And so one of the things that has come up in the last, I would say, month or so is people sending me questions because they are fairly new to reading the Bible. One of the reasons why they follow along on the podcast is because perhaps reading the Bible might have been maybe intimidating for them or they haven't been used to reading maybe multiple chapters in a row or they don't quite understand what they're reading. And so... A couple of things that I want to just mention in case it's helpful to, helpful to you. I, when I'm reading through the Psalms, unless I say otherwise, I'm reading through the New International Version. And the reason why I choose the New International Version, the NIV, is because it's written in a, a translation that is very easy for most people to understand. And the things that you don't understand, I'm doing my best to try to explain those for you. But beyond that, I feel like the NIV is something that is easily accessible in most churches. It is easy to get a hold of in most bookstores, even places like Walmart will have it. And so it's usually a pretty universal version or translation to use. If I use something different, I will say that for my own personal Bible study, when I'm really diving deep into the Word, what we're doing right now is devotional style reading. But when I'm doing study where if I'm, you know, preparing for... Or something that I'm writing or to teach or preach, something like that, I will use the NASB, which is the New American Standard Version Bible. Or I will, quite honestly, do a lot of the Hebrew and the Greek the original languages when I'm doing personal study. But for what we're doing, I think the NIV or another easy to read translation is going to be really good. The New Living Translation would be good. But if you want to word for word follow along with what I'm saying, I use the NIV. Also, If you are new to studying the Bible, and you've never done that before, there's a couple different resources to help you. If you are joining us just from our Psalm study, if you go back to some of the other series that we did before... You might find that helpful to start with. We started with an introduction to Bible study. We talked about why Bible study is important, how to set up yourself for success when it comes to Bible study time. And then I went through the behind the scenes of the She Hears Bible study, which is the the Bible study that I wrote. And then we went into a spiritual discipline series. And in the spiritual discipline series, we talked about all sorts of things to help you hear God's voice more clearly, to help you get in the word more often. And then through that series, we had lots of people just saying, you know what, I don't even have time to read my Bible. So that's kind of why we are doing the Psalms. And again, the reason why we chose the Psalms is because it is the number one book that was quoted by Jesus throughout the New Testament. He quoted the Psalms and it was um, really the songbook of Jesus. And then also the other New Testament writers quoted the Psalms all the time. And so my thought is, is if we are really looking at studying Jesus and hearing Jesus, hearing, hearing his his voice more clearly, and he quoted these scriptures often, then we should also familiarize ourselves with them. And so that's why we're doing a whole reading of all of the Psalms, all together back to back. And if that is not your cup of tea, if that's not the kind of um, podcast that you're looking for, there are a hundred and some other episodes you can go back and you can start anywhere in any of the series, the past series that we've done. And then you can kind of come back when when we're finished with the Psalms. But what I would encourage you to do is to listen through all of them. Some of them are hard. Some of them talk about anxiety or depression or brokenness, just as much as we lean into the seasons of joy and happy and celebration. We have to recognize that God also wants to be there with us in those not so easy seasons. And so I'm not skipping around. I'm going through all of them and Um, I would encourage you to do the same, even if it's hard, even if it's not necessarily what you need to hear in that season. Because quite often what will happen is God will give us something to tuck away in our hearts so that when we are in seasons of suffering or hurting or brokenness, or people that are around us in our circle of influence, when they are suffering or experiencing brokenness, God can bring to mind the things that you learn throughout the pages of the Psalms to speak a word of comfort or peace or healing over that person. And so I would encourage you to to stick through it, even if it's something that you don't think is immediately relevant for you for that day. So today, we're going to continue our devotional reading of Psalm 45. And if you listen to the introduction to the Psalms back when we first started, well, 44 days ago, I guess it would be. Um, And if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to go back and do that. One of the things that I said in that introduction is there are certain Psalms that are what we call Messianic Psalms. Messianic Psalms meaning they point forward to Jesus. And so sometimes we will have Psalms that in a prophetic way will point forward to Jesus. And sometimes we have Psalms where Jesus points back to the Psalms and It's so neat to kind of see how that happens in scripture, because these books were written a very, very long time apart from each other. And the words of Jesus when he said them were way, 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 way after they were written. And the words that were prophesied over Jesus were written way, 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 way before he was born. And so I love seeing that. Um, And I want you to kind of keep that in mind. We're going to explain through it. But keep in mind that Psalm 45 is one of those messianic Psalms. So this is a psalm, Psalm 45 is one that's done by the sons of Korah. If you haven't been listening along, the sons of Korah were the worship leaders from the tribe of Levi that were appointed to lead worship in the temple. And they, like David, had a heart for worship. And a lot of the psalms that we see were put to music. They were hymns or other kind of temple music. So that's what we're getting into in Psalm 45. So keep that in mind as we read starting in verse one, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite my verses for the King, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace. Since God has blessed you forever, gird your sword upon your side. O mighty one, clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above the companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from palaces adorned with ivory. The music of the string makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people in your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor." All the glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They are led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all the generations. Therefore the nations will praise you forever and ever. So I want to start off by looking at the prophetic section of these Psalms, and then we'll go into some of the other details. But when it talks about in verse six and seven, let me read it. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And then verse seven, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Your throne, so when it says your throne, oh God, will last forever an and ever. These are two verses that are the prophetic verses that point towards Jesus. And um, we see this later in the New Testament in Hebrews, where it applies these specific verses to the kingship and the character of Christ. Let me read that for you. In Hebrews 1 8, it says, But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. And so, what we're seeing here is this referring to the ruling power and the authority of Jesus as lasting forever and ever. We also see that in Revelations uh, chapter one. And so the messianic king, and when I say messianic, I'm meaning the Messiah. So we're talking about Jesus. He's also referred to as the anointed one. And if you remember, we talked about anointing quite in depth during the She Hears Bible study, where anointing, um, people were anointed, meaning they were set apart for something. So we go into a whole study about what it means to be the Messiah and anointing. If you didn't listen, I would go back and listen. Um, That is on the uh, in the Martha and Mary study, we're talking about Mary when she's anointing Jesus. So we kind of talk about the anointing. Um, So I would go back and listen to that episode of you don't know what I'm talking about. But Jesus as the anointed one, the one set apart as the Messiah as the king, and so he's described here in the psalm as as God in verse 6 and It's distinct from your God in verse seven. And so that's consistent with the New Testament teaching that both Christ and the father are fully God. And I had a question this week about the Trinity, and I just want to spend another minute talking about it. Um, Somebody wrote to me and said, you know, sometimes we pray to Jesus. Sometimes we pray to God. Are they the same person? You know, how does that all work? And Um, I apologize if sometimes I I assume that people know things if they're listening to a Bible podcast that maybe they've had some exposure to the church or they've had some sort of biblical background. So if you are listening to me and I say something that you just don't understand, please send me an email and I will be happy to to explain it to you. But what we're talking about here is the Trinity. And so the way I, I, I mean, I was a children's pastor for a lot of years, and I think this is a very simple, simplified way of explaining it. But if you were to call me on the phone and you say, hey, Rachel, Rachel is one of my names. My children would call me mom or mama, and then my husband would call me honey. You know, so to him, I am a wife. To my children, I'm a mother. And to perhaps you, I would be a friend. And so even though those are three distinct names and three distinct roles, they are all aspects of me and who I am. And so what we see in Jesus is something similar to help you maybe kind of understand that in in human terms. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the, they God is a triune being. So all three are in one, three functions, three names, but they are all fully God. So when even thinking about in terms of creation, when creation happened, and this took me a long time to understand. When creation happened, we know We think of God as a creator, Father God, but Jesus was present at creation because Jesus is part of God. He's part of the function of God. And so he, by nature, by very nature, is the creator. And I think sometimes we overlook that. And, and depending on your theological background, some people have been taught that, you know, Jesus and God are not the same. Jesus is the son of God, absolutely. But that is his function. That's one of his names. It's one of his roles. But scripture teaches us that he was fully God and fully man. And so same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's function is different than the function that Jesus served when he w- walked this earth. The Holy Spirit's role is to comf- comfort us and to help us. He's He's the helper, the comforter, the advocate. And so what we see is three different functions, but the same triune being. And And another way that I would explain it to the children when I was teaching children's ministry was, if you think about water, sometimes we have liquid water. Sometimes we have water vapor, like a gas, like steam. And sometimes we have um, like hard water, like ice. It's all water. It has three different functions depending on the form it's taking. And different times that water might operate in different capacities depending on the circumstances, but it's all water. And so that's a very simplified, easy way to understand it and and think of it. And so when it's talking about maybe like this in verse six, where it refers to God, and then it refers to God, the father or your God. And then we see that some of those kinds of things in the New Testament, that's how it is um, referred to. And that's probably the easiest way for me to explain that to you. The other thing I want to point out in this psalm is that Christ is described in terms of what he loves and what he hates. And I think this is important to pay attention to. On one hand, he loves righteousness. And so by righteousness, what I mean is consistently doing what is right according to God's standard. So righteousness, this pursuit, of course, we're not going to always be right, but we're going to pursue righteousness. We're going to work towards acting in a way that's righteous. We're going to pursue God's standard for our lives. And, and he loves that. The reason why Jesus loves that is because it characterizes his kingdom. So while we're on earth and while Jesus was on earth, actually, he proved that his greatest joy was doing the father's will. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10 and his righteousness is shown in a way that we see every situation he's in. Everything that he, every conversation that he has, everything that he does, every essence of his being, it reflects this constant desire to do God's will. And honestly, that's the goal for us. Our goal is to pursue righteousness, to seek to do God's will. But as much as he loves righteousness, he also hates wickedness also hates wickedness. And so the greatest proof of that was his death on the cross because he came to pay the debt of sin, my sin, your sin, the sins uh, of this world essentially. And the goal of that was to crush the power of evil, to take that power away from the enemy and to save his people spiritually. Um, we see that that's, that's essentially the gospel. And so, while Jesus was on earth, he confronted all forms of sin, all all sorts of stuff, including things like rebellion and being faithless and um, e- even the demonic or hypocrisy or insecurity or double standards. And essentially one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to put an end to those things for good and he's going to establish righteousness on earth. That's what Revelation, the end, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 19 through 22 teaches us that. And so because Jesus showed a love of righteousness and also he hated wickedness, God honored him above all of the others with this special anointing. And so this anointing refers to the God-given recognition and purpose and authority that Jesus has. And so the ritual of anointing It was usually done with olive oil. And again, we studied this in depth um, in the She Hears Bible Study podcast series. So you can go back and get an in-depth study on that. But the ritual of anointing was usually done with olive oil. And olive oil, or oil in general, actually, in the Bible, most often represents us like a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, like, for example, the oil of joy is a way to refer to Jesus being guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit in joy. And so we see that throughout the scriptures, this referring to um, the anointing oil as, as the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit setting Jesus apart for a specific role. And so in the same way, and this is what I want you to catch, in the same way, God generously pours out the power of the Holy Spirit on us. As believers and followers of Jesus, if we share this love for righteousness, this desire to serve God and to be, you know, to grow into becoming more and more like him. And this Christ-like love for righteousness and resistance to evil. And, and to be perfectly honest, we're not always going to get it a hundred percent right. I mean, we're all human. That's why we needed Jesus in the first place. But it's this idea of the pursuit of righteousness. And, and there are different kinds of anointings for different, different things. I think sometimes, um, you know, we can all pursue different anointings for the spiritual gifts and different aspects, but, um, Like, for example, I love to worship, but I am not anointed to lead worship. I don't have the voice for it. I don't have the musical ability for it. I don't have the drive to teach, to, to learn how to do it, to teach myself or to get lessons. Like that's not the anointing that God has given me. Now God has given me different anointings in, in different areas. He's definitely given me a heart for evangelism and there's an, an anointing there, um, both in, in writing, in the written word, podcasting, but more so, um, there's a evangelistic call that God has given me. That's why I go to the, to the different nations that I serve in, um, as a global, Calling that that's what God's given me, and um, everybody has a different, unique set of. Um, spiritual gifts that that God anoints for for His purposes, but this anointing, in the same way that it was poured out on Jesus, He He pours that out on us. And so I don't want you to miss that when we look at six and seven. Let me read it again. It says, "Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy." That anointing that Jesus received is also something that we can pursue in our own lives um, because God has a heart for his children continually. So it's not like, you know, Jesus came and all the people that were going to be saved got saved and that's that. No, we live in a fallen world where evil is rampant. And God's heart for all of us, for all believers, is to share within our circle of influence, the gospel message so that as many people as possible can be reconciled to him. And so different anointings happen with different people for those specific reasons to expose people to the gospel. You know, there are some people that have an anointed gifting for teaching. There are some people that have anointing for um, healing. And there are some people that have anointing for pastoring, you know, every, and, and it's not even like, at one point in your life, you can have an anointing and then you just don't have any other ones. I mean, there've been times in my life where I've shared on this podcast, God has given me anointing for healing. Does that happen every day? No. But especially when I'm out of the country and serving in with vulnerable populations, it absolutely happens. And so um, God controls that. It's not like something we can buy. You know, there's there's um, passages of scripture where it talks about people wanting to buy an anointing. That's not the way it works. Um, you can't pay somebody for an anointing, you know, you'll see all sorts of scams and stuff online. And also as much as I believe in the prophetic word, I also want to caution when somebody tells you what your anointing is that you, you also check that out with God. And, And I've seen this, um, because I come from a more charismatic background, I've seen this done two ways. I had one person Um, speak a word over me that was just not accurate. But because they were in leadership, I just thought, okay, well, this has to be how it is. And that is not, it was not coming from God, it was coming from that person. And I really struggled with that, because I didn't feel like that was consistent with what God was telling me. And I I didn't trust that. And so it wasn't until I leaned into pressing in and and seeking God that that I kind of got myself straightened out. But then I've also experienced it where, um, I have been seeking God for something, kind of sensing that he is leading me in a certain direction or he's calling me to a new, maybe a new anointing or a new aspect of ministry. And I've had an, um, an older pastor come to me and say, you know, I sense that this is what God might be leading to you too. I want you to pray, pray for that. And that absolutely was a prophetic word. But the thing about a prophetic word is number one, it will confirm what God is already doing in and through you. It will, um, It's not like a fortune telling kind of thing. You know, that's obviously evil, but it's a confirmation. God will sometimes send send a prophetic word to confirm. And then also it will be in line with scripture. You know, prophetic words, sometimes people will come up, that's usually how you tell the difference. Um, People will come up with all sorts of weird prophetic words, especially if you're in a charismatic church. But you always have to hold that to the word of God. It will be consistent with the word of God. So while God might not specifically be talking about your situation, what we know from scripture is that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so if we know how God typically acts. We know his character. We know his nature. We know the things that break his heart. We know that he has a heart for justice. We know he has a heart for, for people. Um, We can learn God's character and nature from scripture, and God is not going to act in opposition to his own character and nature. And so that's one of the ways you can test it. If somebody is giving you some sort of prophetic word, you want to, of course, test it against your own spirit and your own, communication with God in in prayer, but you want to test it against God's word. So you can kind of see the difference between, um, is this something that God is saying to me? Is this something that God is confirming with me? Or is this just, uh, the enemy trying to distract me? I think, I think all of those things are really, really important. The other thing I, I want to point out about this Psalm is if you haven't put it two and two together, as you read through this Psalm, this Psalm was a wedding Psalm. Um, the introduction, if you have subtitles in your Bible, it might even say that it's a wedding song. This was a song that was probably played at a wedding. And there's an allegory there because as believers, we as the body of Christ, the church, are called the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. And what Psalm 45 does is it takes a look at this special Relationship between Israel and God, and almost like a wedding ceremony, it's a covenant that Israel has entered into, where God's kingdom is holds a special place. Israel holds a special place in His relationship with God, or her. I guess you know, maybe her is what typically uh, the country of Israel is is considered but but regardless it's also this idea of this royal marriage almost between us and God when we enter into that relationship where as the bride of Christ we can trust that um he has our best interest in mind at all times. And it is something that is lasting. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, we enter into this sacred commitment. When we make this vow that Jesus is my savior and my Lord, just like there's a relationship between the king and the queen that we see in this Psalm, that's really underwritten by love. When it says in verse 11, let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Um, It's more than infatuation, it's commitment. And I think that's so special because we see this in a messianic psalm, we see that Jesus refers to this because he himself viewed himself as the bridegroom, the, and we are the bride of Christ. So, with that insight, I'm going to go ahead and read it again as you uh, just kind of meditate on those things today. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is a pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be in the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from palaces adorned with ivory. The music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They are led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers, and you will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful picture in Psalm 45 that we see of your throne lasting forever. God, I thank you that no matter what happens, in this earth, that you are on the throne and that there is nothing that can take you off that seat on the throne. So Lord, we thank you for the example that we see throughout these pages of the scriptures to seek righteousness, to love righteousness, to hate wickedness, but to seek righteousness. And God, we know that we're not going to get there on our own. We know that we can only get there through you. So Lord, I thank you for this covenant relationship that you have offered us, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us, because of who you are. You are love. So we thank you for this special place, this special relationship that we have because of you, and the way that we see that come to fruition in the life of Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friends today that they would understand how how incredibly much they are loved. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Hey friends, I just want to let you know that we have lots of great resources for you in the She Hears shop. So if you are looking for something to do after you finish the She Hears Bible study, or even if you would like a Bible to go along with the Psalm study that we're doing, we have lots of note-taking Bibles and journaling Bibles. There's kind of something for everyone in there. And a new thing we put in the shop is something I love. I use it with my teenage daughters, is the Real Pretty Bible Bible books of the Bible markers. So you, they're little tabs you put on the outside of your Bible and they help you easily be able to see and flip to different books of the Bible. It's so helpful like for church or when you're doing a Bible study to easily be able to see where you're going. So I pray all those things are resources that you will find helpful. And again, you can find those at shehears.org on the resources page.